For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where we take a deeper dive on the previous sermon series, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. And today we are doing our discussion, our wrap-up, our reflection on our Esther sermon series. Two weeks. Two brief weeks with tons packed into it. Yes. Both of us preached. Yep. You in modern, me in traditional. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's a great book. It is. It is. A very good book and challenging and I think lends itself to a lot of deep questions. All so right. I thought it was good. Let's get after it. Okay. So we we mainly covered like chapter four and then like six through eight. So we have to summarize a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how does the book open? Okay, so first of all, is this book a historical record? No. Okay. That's shocking. And neither one of us just came out and said that in the sermon because that's easier to talk about in the context of a book study Mm -hmm. or kind of a longer form uh, space like this. Mm -hmm. So are you telling me there was no historical Queen Esther? Uh, In my research, it did not not appear Uh that there was. Uh Yeah. That's something that ended up on the cutting room floor for me. Me too. Yeah. So the... I think most scholars, and certainly scholars kind of in the mainline Protestant tradition, I, I didn't look at um, like Jewish textbooks, but in our tradition, we would say this is, um, and I'm almost even hesitant to say it out loud because I don't want to freak people out, but it's it's historical fiction probably, mm-hmm. meaning it's based in a historical context that was very real. Xerxes was a real uh, person, mm-hmm. or let me, uh, let me look at my pronunciation. A hash, a hash hash yeah. That's it's hash, hash, not hash. Oh I looked gosh. it up. I, look, I have a book That's that not... shows me how to do this. A hash I looked it up too in a different book and it had it differently. Right. What's your book called? It's the one you got, Kristen. Okay. It's the same book. <laughs> a hash I wrote it out phonetically. Okay. Anyway, but Xerxes, it's easier to say Xerxes because most people think they're, we're, we're talking about King Xerxes. Mm-hmm. So, or Xerxes, I guess is a you should say it. Um, So this is after the fall of Babylon to the Persians. Uh, King Cyrus was the one who did that and issued the decree that said all the Jews could go back to Judah if they wanted to. Many chose not to. In fact, after the exile, and I think think it still remains true today, more Jews have lived outside of the Holy Land than in it. Mm -hmm. From the time of the fall of, like the fall to Babylon, like a long, long time ago. So there were still plenty of Jewish people living in the kingdom uh, run, managed, not managed, ruled, ruled. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> not, not managers, ruled by the Persians. And so this is a story about an existential threat to God's people that is averted both by kind of the providential hand of God working and the courage of two of God's people. 
So we'll start there. Okay. So with that as, with that kind of as the context, it is in some ways satirical. Mm-hmm. Pokes a lot of fun at the ruling men of Persia, men specifically mm-hmm. of Persia. Yeah. And um, it would like Haman is comically villainous. Yes. If it wasn't so, like, I, you know, I think everything has to be spoken of differently post Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Right, because I mean, genocide is something that happens. So, um, you know, I, that's never funny. Mm-hmm. But the extent to which Haman is over the top, over like overreacting about everything, yes, is uh, an important thing to note. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we start with a banquet, celebrating the awesomeness that is King Ahasuerus, <laughs> aka Xerxes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shout out to Meredith McBride, children's son. <laughs> um, and so it's a 180 day banquet, right? Yeah. Followed by two other banquets for the capital city. Mm-hmm. And it's near the end of this that he says, like, think of a drunken locker room. And he elbows his buddies in the ribs and say, oh, you should check my wife out. Mm-hmm. And he orders Queen Vashti to show up. Now, there are some rabbinic traditions that say, the implication is that he wanted her to appear naked. Yeah. And she's like, uh, yeah, hard, hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he, uh, deposes her. There are some rabbinic traditions that teach that he had her executed. And, uh, this is the first overreaction by the people in his court. You know what? Forget her. She's mm-hmm. never going to be queen again. She can never come into your presence again. Yeah, and so, they dictate this thing like, oh, the men are the masters. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. his like let, counsel's let like, known. how dare that woman <laughs> yeah. disrespects you? So let's be a little bit over the top. And yeah, there's just a lot of reaction, overreaction. Yes, as you said. exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes. As a, It's kind of funny. As a man, I just kind of, uh, I just brushed past that. I mean, the whole scene's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, and we didn't really spend a whole lot of time talking about it. But you're right. I forgot about that part at the end of the chapter where they issue this decree all over the Persian Empire. Just remember, guys, you're in charge. Yep. <laughs> As if it was any different anywhere in the ancient world <laughs> then, right? So, or at least that was the perceived cultural norm. Correct. So uh, then Mordecai, who is the adopted father of Esther, says, hey, you should, you should run to be queen, <laughs> which means, you know, be the prettiest girl in the kingdom. But don't tell anybody you're a Jew and don't tell anybody you're related to me for sure. So she does, and she wins, and it says uh, that King Ahasuerus, I'm just going to keep saying it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to say it from the pulpit, but now I've learned how to say it. So Ahasuerus uh, says he loves her more than more than all, right, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, she uh, admires her and the other people in the kingdom admire her, like something like she kind of won the hearts of yeah. the people. Yeah, she's a winner. She's a real winner, uh-huh. that Esther. <laughs> So then, the very next, like it's almost a non sequitur, but it's, it drives the plot. So then he says, uh, then we learn that Haman, who um, is an official already, gets promoted to become like senior official, prime minister, basically. And the king, Haman doesn't ask for this, right? The king just issues the, oh, the order that he, everybody must I bow down so. in front of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Makes this, issues this order. And Mordecai, for reasons we don't know, I mean, I think we sometimes assume it's because he only believes in God, but I mean, the, like people 
do stupid things to royalty for like in honor of royalty all over. Like still today, people care about royalty. I'm about to go on a rant about the royal family. <laughs> oh, That's a man. separate podcast. Jeez. Whitney gives me a hard time about this. I'm very anti-royals. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm sure the queen was a lovely lady in some ways. Mm. Whatever. <laughs> I couldn't care less about the whole I could, coronation of the next guy. Oh. My thing is I could care. Like William Harry, uh, whatever. It's so like Spare. We don't, his book's appropriately named. Yeah, we don't know what actually goes on. Whatever. But yeah, people are obsessed with them. Uh, yes. Yes. Still in the 21st century, people care about them. Anyway, mm-hmm. back then, <laughs> uh, anybody in the royal court had, required some kind of, you know, obeisance or whatever. So Mordecai doesn't. We don't, we're not told why. He just doesn't. And so Haman loses his mind. Mm-hmm. Knowing that Mordecai is a Jew, is like, fine, I'll kill all of them. Which seems like the appropriate response, knee, I feel like. Knee-jerk <laughs> hatred mm-hmm. of a group based on one encounter with one of that group. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Is there a lesson in there? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, of course. We make fun of Haman because, you know, genocide because of one bad reaction is, of course, ridiculous. But, you know... Listen, there's a whole sermon series and in, in the ways that we re, the ways that we think of entire groups of people based on interactions with one of those groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? Yeah. But in this case, uh, that's what he orders. And he casts lots to decide what day it's going to be. <clears throat> and apparently the king who's... The king gets off a little light in this whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really does. Because Haman says, look, I'll give you lots and lots and lots of money if you just let me kill all these people. And the king's like, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever. I mean... That's essentially the way that goes. Mm-hmm. So he casts lots and he says, uh, on this particular day, 11 months in the future, this order will be carried out. So he seals it with his signet ring, the king's ring, which is what the prime minister has. Mm-hmm. Once it's sealed with that ring and disseminated across the kingdom, it is n- non-revocable, mm-hmm. which seems like a very stupid way to make laws. Yes. And probably another commentary on Persia. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Probably. So then Mordecai overhears another kind of non sequitur, unrelated to the rest of the story, but becomes important later, overhears of an assassination plot, reports it to Queen Esther, who reports it to the king. What I was a little confused about, by the way, is somehow the king finds out it was Mordecai who heard it, even though she's not supposed to talk about her connection to Mordecai. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that a plot hole? Or Maybe, just, but I just feel like the king was very unaware of what was going on a lot. So they thwart the plot and they execute these two. Then we move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll, we'll come back to that point. So Mordecai learns of the king's decree because apparently, did everyone know about the decree? That's 11 months down the road. So another, another curiosity a little, on the plot. So, but it talks about how like other Jews were like, Morning. Yeah, everybody's like, in morning, so everybody knows about so everybody it. Everybody knows about it. Yeah. But I'm still confused of like how the whole Haman did he actually say forthright, like, this is who I want to kill King? Because then the king, when Esther goes to him, she she's like he asks, like, yeah, well, yeah. who is it? He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who? And she's like, Haman. How do you how dare it? How what do you mean? Well <laughs> so, he doesn't know she's Jewish. So like are there multiple groups of people being killed in the kingdom? Yeah. I, mm, probably. Probably they're the Persians, right? I mean, they're not quite the Assyrians, but, you know, they're... Anyway, so, okay, so Mordecai goes to Esther and says, this is going to happen. You have to do something about it. And that verse that we read at the top of the podcast, 
is kind of the centerpiece of the whole story. This thing's about to happen. You have you have the power to do something about it, even if, like, the extent of her power is obviously limited, but she at least has the opportunity to do something about mm-hmm. it. That's probably the better way to put it. Um, and if you don't, you're going to fall victim to it, too. Mm-hmm. And just maybe you've been put in the position you're in for just such a time as this. A very famous phrase mm-hmm. that's been used ever since mm-hmm. by all kinds of people in all kinds of circumstances. Yep. So... Esther says, okay, you and all of our Jewish brothers and sisters, you guys go off and fast and pray, and I'll fast and pray with my group, and I'll try and figure out what to do. So she invites Haman and the king to a banquet, uh, just the three of them, where she intervenes. So that's kind of the summary of, and she intervenes by saying, save me, (laughs) save us. Mm -hmm. And the king says, sure. And Haman builds this 80-foot high it's gallows is the way the um, the translation the narrow speed puts it, but it was probably probably a giant spike. Yeah, other translations say yeah, yeah, it's a spike because he given, couldn't wait eleven months to kill Mordecai. He needed to do it right now. Yes, oh, because there's a second instance of Mordecai blowing him off. Yeah, right, not bowing down or whatever. So he builds the, he builds this um, a giant pole, giant spike or gallows. We went with gallows because it's. More child friendly yeah. <laughs> worship, right? And uh, wants to have Mordecai hung on it, slash impaled on it, and in the in a great ironic bit of justice, he ends up being hoisted by his own petard. Like he ends up getting hung on that gallows yeah. when the king intervenes. So that's a long snapshot. It's hard to it's hard to preach on Esther without giving mm-hmm. the context, unlike most books of the Bible. Yeah. Um, because then there's that twist of fate with him leading them through the city square on the horse and all that. But that's, you know, you have to listen to sermons to get that. Yeah. Okay. So I have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, okay. Um, so Haman does kind of come out of nowhere, right? Like he's just promoted, but we haven't heard about him before. Uh, yeah. I mean, but in the same way, we haven't heard about Ash, Vashti or Esther yeah. or Mordecai. Like there's and, characters in the story. Haman, yeah. the reason of some of his hatred is he comes from a group that he battled. He's an Agatite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Jewish people. So there's like this. There's like a history. There's a history. Right. I mean, it's still not. He doesn't like him anyway. Doesn't like him anyway, but there is that. Although the story doesn't really dwell on that. No, it, no, it doesn't. Right. But we just, I mean, perhaps the original audience would have known that. Yes. Um, okay. And then the way that Esther goes forward. So it's really not all the young, all the young girls have to go and audition. Right. Or how does it, um, the scripture kind of, because it's not necessarily that Mordecai totally pushed Esther into it. Like there's kind of a, yeah, I hate to say cattle call, but right. <laughs> almost. Oh Yeah. Bikini contest plus, yeah, <laughs> fashion show. <laughs> I mean, it's such a misogynist. It is. I mean, it is. This makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I guess because some people are like, oh, Mordecai just like, oh, like pushed him, her into oh, this, see, yeah. and it's like, well, no, that's not like right. she would have. She didn't have a choice. She didn't have a choice. Okay. Um, but he wanted her to hide her identity. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So Vashti gets like no airtime really. But do you think? She's got a, but she's it, an important role. Um, kind of like what well, do you? 
there's she appears elsewhere, right? I mean, we know of Vashti from other. She doesn't have a great rep mm. before the story. Okay. In the rabbinic tradition, but I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure if that's because of. I don't know. I didn't dig into that. But I do think she. I mean, I kind of like her that she she stands up for herself. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, and, and so Vashti, as she's presented in the story, is yes is to be commended, in my opinion. But I don't know if there's other kind of history with her or whatever. Okay. Some questionable parts of how Esther is chosen. (laughs) We kind of skipped over those. But do you think there's an idea that Mordecai thought, I mean, Esther, like, you could be more than just a trophy wife? Mm. I mean, there's no way of really knowing that, but... Shady. It is shady. It is shady. shady. There's a lot of stuff between the lines here. (laughs) Yeah. Like, she refuses some of the treatments, though, didn't she? I mean, there's a reason we skipped over some of this. Yeah, it's... It's, well, it's too, it's uh, a, little, a little much. Yeah. So my brother was here that first week and yeah. he doesn't go to church. And, and <laughs> of course, I didn't tell all the parts. I yeah. summarize a lot. And after he's like, that story's got some interesting parts <laughs> in it. I was like, it sure does. <laughs> like, okay. In your commentary, do you, in your research, does Esther, did you find that some people are like, well, she's she's kind of a coward or she does, she takes... Like, I got conflicting things where people are like, well, she is courageous, but she's kind of a coward at first, or she's real shy. Like, what were your findings when you looked at the story of so Esther? So I have an unabashedly positive view of Esther. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why anyone would call her a coward. She was So she was subjected to uh, the same kind of general rules as every other girl in the kingdom, mm-hmm. young girl in the kingdom. And she ends up, when it's brought to her attention by her, well, sidekick, Mordecai. He's kind of the sidekick in the story. When it's brought to her attention, what's being planned, and she realizes she's at least got the opportunity to intervene, she does. Mm-hmm. At tremendous risk to herself. Yes. And so, I mean, I, I'm i not sure how that's anything other than commendable. Uh, well, you know how people can get, can like... throw that commentary in the trash, whoever was... <laughs> well, no, it was not saying she was kind of, like, people... They, the way it was written was like, you know, some people argue that, oh, she's such a coward, but she's definitely some not. Some people are saying mm-hmm. what kind of. I feel, I, like, I feel like this gets colored by like popular culture a little bit, because I think that in recent years, like shows like Game of Thrones or, you know, the one about the Irish royalty or whatever, in an, in an attempt to give women more of a role in those television shows, I think they are given a lot of power mm-hmm. and like don't get murdered all the time. Mm they like are these crafty queens who do all of these things Hmm. and have these people under them and whatever but like the story starts out with the first queen getting either murked right or because of some just not being whatever i don't you know just not responding to the king's demand yeah super submissive yeah so this idea that i think reading it you know she takes time to fast and like consider what she should do Mm -hmm. but the whole story starts in a certain way to tell you here's the risk Mm -hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this is what would probably happen if she responds. Yes. She's not Queen Cersei who, like, goes, bring me my eunuchs and we will take over the world. You know, <laughs> just, like, all, all of this stuff. Now, y'all watch different TV shows than I do. What's, what's that from? <laughs> That's Game of Thrones. Game and of she's Thrones, a very okay. crafty queen who, like, takes over mm-hmm. everything. And, you know, she, she's supposed to be submissive and she's not. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's, I... You know, love love the power that women are given in television now. But I don't think in these scenarios mm-hmm. she had a lot of even Options. rope to hang herself. Right. With. Like it. I just feel like some people like I experienced this. Let's say like in seminary when 
when our professors would present something like that maybe um, a church member complained about something and some people that had never worked in church were like, well, I would just tell them they couldn't. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not how it works. I think sometimes when it comes to like justice mm-hmm. issues, mm-hmm. people are like, well, you just go yell and, and mm-hmm. take over. And it's like, no, you have to be smart mm-hmm. about how you do it. Mm-hmm. And so Esther just strikes me. She's clearly very smart. Like she doesn't rush in. Um, she still follows some of the rules and customs because she's, and in my sermon, talk, she's very methodical. She mm-hmm. thinks like, okay, if I do this, I need to get these people in the same room. I need to ask on day two. Like mm-hmm. she's, she's just very smart the way she does right. it. She's not rash. She is smart in that she does consider it and not just go, you know, hey. Right. She can go beating on his door saying, you can't do this. Yeah. Well, he's obviously a man with an extremely delicate ego. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Who, you know. And Haman, too. And- yeah. Which is many times redundant, by yeah. the way. <laughs> but it's just like, well, I kill all of them. Why, sir? Because I can. All right. Because <laughs> like, right. I said so, and if it doesn't become so, then you're yeah. going to be tossed in with them. And that's... Yeah, cause we, so we didn't get into the detail of, like, in order to approach the king, you had to get permission to approach the king. And mm-hmm. she hadn't been in the king's presence for 30 days by the time mm-hmm. Mordecai came and told her this. And she's like, geez, I don't... like." I've wasted, like, oh, no, she's probably part of her. It's like, oh, my gosh, have I, am no, I too late? No, I think she thinks, how am I going to get access to him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if if I'm going to intervene, it has to be on his terms, not mm-hmm. mine. A lot of political red tape. A ton. Yeah. And so, the, I mean, then there's this whole thing about, like, a harem full of virgins. Good Lord. Like, he, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing she's not the only woman in the palace. And, and so Yeah, if, you, if she hadn't seen him in a month, yeah, probably not. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and obviously you can't get into all that. Right. With, uh, <laughs> children's time. Or, all right. <laughs> I let the right. children's time be that part of the story. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She was an ornament. She was a fixture. Right. She yeah. had her own residence. She wasn't live like they lived very separate right. lives. Exactly. They did not share the master bedroom. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she figured out how to invite just Haman and the king. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's pretty bold to do that. Then she did wait till day two, till they were drunk or hungover or, mm-hmm. you know, relaxed or whatever mm-hmm. before she sprung it on him. And then she said it in such a way, she didn't leave with the fact that she was a Jew, mm-hmm. right? She yeah. led with the fact that Haman was trying to kill her. And he's like, and so that, what does that do? Well, that mm-hmm. immediately appeals to the king's ego, mm-hmm. right? And his protectiveness over his woman. She's in mine. My house. You think you right. can exactly. touch what's mine? <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So the whole thing is pretty. Well, I must say, executed. So she's definitely not a coward. And no. she is absolutely a heroine in Jewish tradition. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, okay. So both of you kind of focused on what we do in times of great evil and injustice. So what does the book of Esther teach us? Mm-hmm. And what do Haman and the king reveal to us? And what about Mordecai? Well, that's a lot going on there. That I know. Question. Yeah. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, I, I decided to approach it from the perspective of the um, baptismal vows. And it mm-hmm. worked out well that we had a baptism mm-hmm. yesterday. Because there's only three. Aren't, am I doing my count? Oh, I guess the fourth is a commitment to raise the, I'm talking about the baptismal vows. Okay. There's, the, there's a fourth question about raising the child in the church, but there's only three real evil injustice and oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritual forces of wickedness. Jesus Christ is your Savior. 
regardless, it's in the top three or four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forget. Depend- I mean, no matter what, how the wording specifically is. And so, obviously, it's something that we take very seriously. In Esther's case, the whole story is a lesson that, to me, that uh, intervening uh, against and resistance to the darkness in the world is is almost always very risky, and um, one hundred percent of the time required mm-hmm. in order to head off bad things. And it just so ha- it's funny how the Holy Spirit works because we we planned this a, a while back, right? When, mm-hmm. when did we start talking about Esther a year ago, mm-hmm. something like that. Pretty, yeah, right. I mean that we do them a year out, and we wanted a small book, and Esther fits the bill. And we were going to do three weeks originally, condensed it to two because of Youth Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but we've been planning to do this for a while, and so then it just so happened at the last minute I got invited to be chaperone to the Holocaust Museum, mm-hmm. and it just so happened the second week of the series we were going to do. A baptism and so like it just i don't know it's it pushed me in that direction mm-hmm. and methodists are absolutely people of of justice and um you know the, the way i ended things yesterday was acknowledging that it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the needs of the world mm-hmm. and all the injustices in the world i mean we could start a list right now mm-hmm. gun violence i've got a nephew at michigan state mm-hmm. <laughs> the most recent and and Whitney uh, heard part of the, his his story, his experience mm-hmm. of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. We well, you know gun violence is a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're coming up on the anniversary mm-hmm. of the war in Ukraine. Uh, the uh, Tyree Nichols mm-hmm. murder. I mean, there's lots of things you could choose to be outraged about on any given day. But what, that doesn't give us an excuse not to ever get outraged. <laughs> Right, you can't just we can't just shut it shut shut down our like Esther could have ignored the whole thing mm-hmm. and lived happily ever after. Yeah, she could have because right. like no one knew, no one knew, mm-hmm. and all the witnesses would have been dead. Um, but she chose to act, and I think I just feel like that's I think that's the lesson of this book that mm-hmm. yes, God is at work. That whole from another quarter thing uh, that Mordecai says. And the hand of God is coincidentally or providentially at work in all the sequence of events in, in the book. But it also ultimately requires the participation of God's people to head off evil. And it's unique in that way because um, the Exodus, that was all God. God was doing the driving. Moses was just doing what he was telling him to do, what God was telling him to do. This book is very different. They're they're faithful and they're seeking prayer. And I mean, they're seeking God and they're trying to be faithful. But ultimately, they are acting on their own. And there's no voice of God telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. So they just figure it out, <laughs> which is probably why it gets a little messy at the end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot of murder. At the yes. End. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. ending, I I ended up talking about that in my sermon because I just felt like, gosh, if they go home. They're like, wait a second, <laughs> what happens at the end? Um, yeah, the ending of the book gets. A little, yeah, a little dicey. So there's a lot of murder. It only, and I'll now clarify. Yeah. It only gets dicey from your 21st century Christian perspective. Right. Yes. So talk about that. Then. No, no. You, so why does it get dicey in your opinion? Okay. So early in the week, what Chris and I meet every week, and I just said, hey, I'm really struggling with this book. And we kind of went back and forth. And I'm like, well, I have a hard time 
even the way Heyman dies, I know he's bad, but and then you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> and and I I admit wait, that. Wait, no, you got to finish that thought. I know he's bad, but what? I well, first of all, like he gets he gets killed mainly because the first of all the king thinks he's harassing Esther, like, mm-hmm. but he's not at that time. So I I'm mean. Like, in a sense, he is. I know. Just not the way the king thinks. By extension. Yes. And so <clears throat> I am just very Pollyanna. And I guess I'm like, well, <laughs> I want everyone to be redeemed. And I want everyone to like, that's just my personality. Um, and then. But Haman is a wicked, wicked I human. know. Mm-hmm. And so I think. Like, he's like comically wicked. He did have a character arc right into the ground. Or right just, up on 80 feet high. Right. You know, I. <laughs> I mean, this is the question. Would you have killed Hitler if you had the option? Right. And so. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> that's what he said. I mean, literally, like that is, that's not, that's not much of an exaggeration. Like if you could have headed off the, this Correct. genocide by yeah. killing the person in charge of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that a, 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 is that a moral evil? Right. These are things that keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess because the book we make, how um, all the, like the king or his council people like overreact. Sometimes Esther's response of, okay, now we're, we're going to be able to kill all these people to, or defend defend ourselves. And then when she's like, can I actually have one more day of killing? I'm like, want, yeah, well. I just struggle with that. And so the, so uh, so, okay, but we should explain yeah. in case, yeah, yeah, in case yeah, people yeah, haven't yeah. heard 9 and 10. So because the, ki- because the king's order cannot be revoked and because the king was not on board with revoking the order, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the king, Xerxes, once again, shows up to be kind of a schmuck. Mm-hmm. So Mordecai says, well, okay, here's what we'll do. We will issue a second edict that says if you are under attack, you can kill your attacker, right? That's mm-hmm. basically the thing. Yeah. So the, the, the new edict is you can defend yourself. Mm-hmm. So these are people who are coming to kill what they think are innocent, unarmed Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And they end up, like the tables end up being turned. Yeah. Um, That is only a problem if you uh, are focused on one passage of one sermon Mm -hmm. of Jesus' life. Right? Okay. Right, I mean, yeah. it's the the. I mean, because you mentioned it in your sermon, I watched it. Yeah, turn the other cheek. Yeah, and so I think I admitted in my sermon is because one thing, you know, I'm reading it with these like this Christian lens, and as a Jewish person, I read this, and I'm like, okay. Well, what if? Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah. let's talk to so mm-hmm. let's talk more about this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I'm more of a just war theory kind of guy. Okay. I mean, and I'm not being flippant about this, like. As like when I was in the Navy, we had to think through all this mm-hmm. as Notre Dame students, anyway. <clears throat> and there are times, and and I mean, I believe there are times when um, evil must be has to be overcome by force. Mm-hmm. It just has to be. That's not the Mennonite position, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the ideal Christian position based on the Sermon on the Mount. But that's an, it's still a, a an ethically valid Christian position. So, um, in this case, it's a bloody ending, but it's not a bloody ending initiated by God's people. Mm-hmm. It's a bloody ending 
um, as a result of the attempt of evil to move in the world and God's people saying no. Mm-hmm. And while that's horrible, um, you know, like I think of Ukraine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the pacifist position would be come to a diplomatic solution against an aggressor that has no intention of acting in good faith. Mm-hmm. Or arm them and let them defend themselves and try to work for a better world in the aftermath, which I think is where we are at the end of Esther. Mm-hmm. And so it it's interesting that it becomes this Mardi Gras type celebration. Mm-hmm. And you and you said this in the sermon. It's not they are not celebrating well they're a little bit celebrating the death of Haman. <laughs> That's yes. the whole cookies yeah. that are Haman's ears. <laughs> yeah, correct. Um, mm-hmm. But they're not, it's not, they're not celebrating a counter genocide. Correct. Is not, yeah. Right. They're celebrating how God moved and God's people acted to save God's people. Yes. And that's where I had to, I had to land, you know, to think like, no, this is, this story is talking about how God is for the oppressed and which you talked about in your sermon too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and justice and letting good win. And so, um, <laughs> it's, I'm laughing because, so the Desmond Tutu quote uh-huh. is, uh, <clears throat> let me get it exactly. He says, if you are, and we had a really cool graphic that I found for this week. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you see it? Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. That's, that's mm-hmm. just fundamental. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I absolutely, I absolutely believe that mm-hmm. if an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse, and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the end of Esther, the mouse picks up an elephant gun and kills the elephant. Mm-hmm. But the mouse doesn't pick up an elephant gun and wipe out all the elephants in the neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that, yeah. so um, the celebration of Purim, which is the Jewish festival that, cel- that remembers not authorized in the law, obviously, because this story came a lot, much after, much later than the law. Um, but it celebrates the fact that the elephant's or the mouse's tail is no longer being stepped on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it it gets uh, dicey, but I think it is good to think. It, I encouraged how I took the direction of the sermon. It was like, you know, you should read these difficult passages and not be afraid to like think like, okay, what is what is the truth nugget, if you will, in it, or like, what is God saying? How can you interact with scripture to say, what are you trying to teach me? What else is going on? Um, I think a lot of people could read the end of this and like, Oh, I don't know what to do with that. And then they just shove it away. And I'm like, no, deep, think deep, like theologically, because people will ask you, well, what do you do with those stories of genocide and be able to explain that? And, mm-hmm. and it's really good for our witness in the world and just for your own, growth in your discipleship um but no this was good i enjoyed what you kind of shared about this story mm-hmm. wish you would have told me that earlier in the week when i was <laughs> writing my sermon but it's whatever um but ultimately i mean i really enjoyed going through <laughs> esther because it did challenge me it made me think like okay i can't just say these blanket statements like i have to think through like man i'm team i'm team esther all the way mm-hmm. and team mordecai Definitely not Team Heyman. No. So also end up on the cutting room floor. So there are these tri-colored or not tri-cornered pastries that are filled with like sweets. Mm-hmm. It's one of the like treats on Purim traditionally, and they're mm-hmm. called Heyman's ears. Mm-hmm. And that's because in some of the rabbinic traditions, <laughs> I 
I didn't say this in the sermon, but Haman's ears are cut off before he's executed. <laughs> Ooh, so like uh, the Princess Bride kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Look, to your point, Reagan, you know, feeling bad at all about Haman, you, you have to be pretty, you, you have to be a bad guy to have like an evil pastry named after you hundreds for, of years later. He for did all other time. stuff. I'm totally like, can't everyone just get along? No. Like, so what, what would have been the better outcome? Else. Like, what would you have recommended? How, what, what should have happened to Haman? Just locked him up. Locked him up? Yeah. You ever been in a Persian prison? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Not par- recently. I'm paraphrasing airplane. We should. We should. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think they really. I don't think they really did that back then. They didn't really imprison people for life. It was. I know. I'm much. just. It wasn't a business yet. They didn't have enough of them. Boom. <laughs> Truth bomb. I mean, speaking of context, though, honestly, I mean, like they, like life imprisonment wasn't really a thing. Right. It's me just being like, okay, there's got to be another way. Like I just sometimes can give too much grace to people that don't need it. That's one of my flaws. There's still isn't there. <laughs> And I do love, I, I believe in the Jewish tradition, like when, when you read, I think this book's called Megillah in M-E-G-I-L-A-H, maybe like that. I think that's the, maybe the title in, in Hebrew. But when it's read on Purim, every time Haman's name is said, they boo and hiss. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, what, Purim which, play. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I kind of want to go to one now to experience it. I totally it. do, yes. Kristen said she did. Mm-hmm. She yeah, she did. Her neighbors, yeah. What is it? That's March 6th or 6th 7th this 7th year? 6th and 7th this year. That's Scott's birthday, the 6th. Uh, there you go. Take Perfect him to a, way to celebrate. Take him to a Did you read, this was things on the cutting room floor, some weird things have happened on Purim? Mm-hmm. What, so what did you read? Uh, Stalin died. Yes. yes, Stalin died on Purim. Yeah, and then some. someone else did. I don't know. It was just like weird uh-huh. coincidence. Of so like, I have in my, um, so my, I'm in leadership plano this year. And my class is the assistant director of the Anti-Defamation League from North Texas. Mm. And so I was looking up stuff on Purim because it's not something that I know a whole lot about. And there's a website called uh, Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org. And I just verified with her that it was a good source. And that's where I saw, like, Stalin dying. And um, there was somebody else. There's someone else. Yeah. I don't know. It was a, it was a good read. Challenging it, and good. Indeed. And- there's a lot of things you could have talked. I mean, you could have talked about good leadership, who who surrounds you, who gives you advice, like all. I mean, there was so much on the cutting room floor. I feel like this many time. many layers yeah. of the good book of Esther. Yes. So, some time in the future, we'll maybe do a maybe we'll do a ten week series on Esther. Oh my gosh! <laughs> One per chapter. Get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> yeah. Leave no, the children at home. We can call it. <laughs> CUMC at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be your live podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh man! All right. So what's coming up? I think I think there's something coming up. So first of all, yeah. Stephanie Reed Meyer is back <gasps> in the office tomorrow. I know. Woo-hoo. Only half time. Yes. She's not going to be half time for a month, and then she's going to be back. Everybody full-time. hug her she, when yes. you see her. Hug her. She loves the hugs. She loves hugs. Baby's always doing well. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Uh, and then you and I were in a meeting yesterday talking about our 50th anniversary mm-hmm. right after church so what's we got some fun stuff on the docket for that in the coming mm-hmm. few months anything in particular you want to share about that um no it's just i think what i'm excited is to gather some of these stories that people have had because people really loved reminiscing yesterday in the meeting um and kind of especially those multi-generational families saying like what do you remember like, yeah. as you were growing up and stuff and i think featuring those stories um will be really really fun yeah, for everyone to hear 
I agree. Maybe even tasty. <laughs> yes, maybe. Uh huh. So there's maybe chocolate chip cookies in the future. Yeah. Perhaps. Hot dogs and watermelon in the future. Yep. Some kind of fun celebration in September. All right, that's good. And then on Wednesday, what's happening? Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have Ash Wednesday, 6 p.m. Underwood Hall in for family service, mm-hmm. 7 p.m. for the traditional service. Mm-hmm. And then we're starting a uh, five-week sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's Palm Sunday and then the Holy Week schedule and all that's going to be coming up. We have Lenten devotionals. Mm-hmm. People can yeah. subscribe to if they haven't gotten them yet or they haven't gotten them before. And we're doing a reading as a church together. Yeah. We're going to read all of the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. And that's in, you can go to cumc.com slash Lent for details and all kinds Correct. of stuff, right? Or cumc.com slash connect. Mm-hmm. It's another landing spot. So Sign up for the emails, download the reading guide, order some flowers. All of it's going to be there. Awesome. So that means that we will, five weeks from now, six weeks from now? Mm-hmm. So we won't do it before Palm Sunday. Oh, yeah. We'll yeah. do a Holy Week. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be back together Holy Week. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. So after the, the 10, the, the, command, the uh, mm-hmm. sermon series called 10, mm-hmm. we'll be back with another uh, episode or episodes mm-hmm. since it's five weeks worth of material. Yeah, we'll probably have a lot to talk about. Oh, I'm going to have to pay attention a lot. <laughs> take notes. <laughs> take notes. Oh, okay. We appreciate y'all being with us. And we'll uh, be back in a few weeks with another episode of Offscript. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.